Maybe Morgan dressed like Wolverine Maybe Dave ate his way out of trouble Maybe Dustin's diorama came in last Maybe Morgan tunneled out of jail Maybe Dustin ran for council member Maybe Dave found himself horribly miscast Find out what happened Yes, find out what happened Since when last we left our Welcome to When Last We Left Our Podcast, a bi-weekly storytelling podcast hosted by me, Morgan Fielli. Me, Dave Warren. And me, Dustin Diodata. Each week we tell true life stories inspired by the events that happened to us since the last time we recorded this podcast. When last we left our podcast, Dave got in his own head. Morgan had problems with sex, and Dustin recalled the worst trip to the nurse he's ever had. This week, Dave wonders if he's a New Yorker. Dustin asks for help and sort of gets it. Morgan grapples with mortality. Which is why you're going third. Yeah. <laughs> Always leave them with death. Yeah. Look, I like to think of it as the anchor story and that it's incredibly heavy and no one yeah. wants it on board. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It will, and it'll drag us to the bottom and of the will, sea. Yeah, it'll drag right. us down. All right. You want to, you like, make sure people listen to our stories before they're super crazy depressed and need yeah. to go... Drink themselves into oblivion. If you guys could start pouring your alcohol now, all of you in listener land, and so by the time you get to my story, it's brimming with, with drink, yeah. I think we'll be in good shape. Every time one of us says, um, do a shot. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll be properly drunk by the time we get through four lines of the story. Yeah. Here's a fun game. One of my stories, they'll be dead. Yeah. yeah. Take a drink every time you hear one of us sigh. <laughs> Take a drink every time one of us expresses some form of existential <laughs> confusion. Take take every pause with, with his dead air as one of us looking wistfully off into the distance. <laughs> um, well, I guess I'll tell my story now. Please. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Dave. I uh, will now tell you about the story that happened since the last time I told you a story. Uh, and if you've been uh, listening to the podcast, you know I am a runner. And I'm a runner in New York who's training for the New York City Marathon. Um, and I'm not comfortable with either the label runner or New Yorker. Um, as regards New Yorker, um, I'm not particularly comfortable with any label in general. So I should, I guess, uh, preface it by saying that. But I'm not uh, pr- particularly comfortable with New Yorker in spite of the fact that I've lived in New York for 13 years. And if you count... Uh, college when I was lived upstate. I've been a resident of New York State for 17 years, which is almost half my life. I'm not comfortable uh, with it because I don't really feel like I fit uh, the descriptor of New Yorker. When, when you say, like, uh, that guy's from New York City, um, I think you get a sort of image in your head, and it's like, uh, yes, Dustin? Um, I'm not comfortable with it either because you're a Red Sox fan, and therefore you could only be at least, like, <laughs> so you could be at so most. So mayor. Right. The, yeah, I'm, I'm, against, I'm, against that, I'm against that, too. You're, yeah. you're at most 49% New Yorker, but please continue. Um, no, it's, it's, a, it's fair. It's fair. Uh, both, of our, uh, both of our recent mayors have been Red Sox fans, and that's weird. Uh, that shouldn't be. Um, uh, I, I, uh, agree with you. I root for the Sox. Um, but also, um, you know, if you have this image of New Yorker in your head, it's, um, it's, it's probably like one part Bill Murray from Ghostbusters, one part, um, uh, Woody Allen minus hopefully the latent pedophilia and like one part construction worker with a heart of gold <laughs> or something. And, um, 
I am, I'm not any of that, you know? I mean, I share certain uh, qualities with some of it, but like that doesn't, that doesn't really uh, define, uh, that doesn't really add up to me. And also like, I don't, all that's from the seventies and eighties anyways. I don't know if like the concept of what people think of when they think of New Yorker is I, I like, prefer really to think relevant. Of, I prefer to think of you more as the working girl New Yorker who okay, like breaks right. a heel yeah, on the yeah. way to sure, sure. the way to work and is just trying to get by. I, I guess hey. I think of you more as like one of the mascots in Times Square, that style of New Yorker. Oh, yeah. one of the desnudas? <laughs> yeah, yes, one of the desnudas, just walking around. Um, walking around, letting, trade. Letting, letting them hang out under some body paint. Mm-hmm. Um, no, uh, so, so point being, don't really consider myself... A New Yorker, um, uh, and um, even though I've I've lived here so long, but every so often something happens to me where I'm like, "Huh, that was a pretty New York way of of reacting to that." Um, when I was, uh, I, I lived in the city for about two years when this happened. I um, I was in a cab one night. This is the only time this has ever happened to me. The cab got pulled over by the cops, and um, cop. I, I don't know why we've been pulled over, so I don't get out of the cab, even though the cab's like, you can probably go. I'm like, what if he wants me for some reason? <laughs> or what if he doesn't know which one of us is the driver and he sees me get out and thinks I'm running away and does cop shit to me, you know? Like, uh, I, uh, So I stayed in the cab, uh, and it was just really awkward and weird. But the, um, uh, the, the cop eventually comes out, walks up to the cabbie's window, uh, leans in and goes to the cabbie, do you know what you just did? And the cabbie goes, buh? And then the cop turns and looks at me and goes, did you see what he did? And I looked at the cop and just went, I didn't see nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and later when I'd gotten home after the cabbie had gotten his ticket for going the wrong way, down one way, um, I, uh, I thought, well, that was, that was kind of New Yorkery of me, wasn't it? 1930s New York. Yeah. <laughs> hey, mister. Um, it went that way. Uh, you didn't hear from me, Kappa. Um, so, anyway, um, but uh, like I said, I'm I'm also somebody who runs a lot, even though I'm not particularly comfortable with that label either. Reason I'm not so comfortable with the label runner is because I am bad at running, <laughs> um, and therefore don't think it it applies to me because runner implies competence at it, um, and I don't really run because of any uh, desire to run. I run because it's a good way to fundraise for my fundraiser of choice, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. If you run marathons and then say, give a dollar to X, people are more likely to do it than if you just say, I would like you to give money to X. Um, so that's how I fundraise for for that. I, I run marathons with their group team and training. When, when you said you didn't run for <laughs> desire to run, I thought like, oh, that just mean you run for danger. Yes, <laughs> right, right. Well, up until like the or time, for prey in case <laughs> he's hungry. Up until the time I, I like uh, even was out of college, the most I ever ran was running away from kids that were trying to hurt me. Mm, you know, sure. Um, but. Uh, so, but, so anyway, like, yeah, I, I don't really consider myself a runner. I'm not particularly good at it, but I do run terrifyingly long distance distances regardless of that. And I'm training for the New York city marathon, which is two and a half weeks from the day we are recording this. Um, 
And if you've been listening to the podcast, you may be aware that my training this season has been going especially poorly. (laughs) Um, uh, I started the season with a bang by immediately getting injured in my right Achilles tendon. Um, And then on the comeback run, if you listen to one particular episode from our uh, from this podcast, you'll know that on the comeback run from that injury, I shit my pants. <laughs> um, and so uh, then uh, the season progressed. I went on what runs I could. I did what I could and ultimately injured my left Achilles tendon about uh, two, three weeks ago. Um, and it was on a run. It was on a 16-mile long run. I um, started feeling pretty shitty in my Achilles tendon around mile eight which is great because you got to go back the other eight miles. Um, And uh, it started getting very sore, very, very tense, like started ratcheting down, being unable to kind of move my heel and my, my ankle. And then this weird popping sensation started happening, which you don't want like under a tendon that hasn't, that's known for suddenly snapping. Every time it would pop, I would think, oh, that's it. I, I can never walk again. Um, and I grew up, uh, uh, actually, uh, uh, although I'm mostly a fan of Boston sports, I, I was born in Detroit and lived there till I was six. So I was a, when I was young, I was a fan of the Isaiah Thomas era of the uh, Detroit Pistons. And Isaiah Thomas has um, subsequently been revealed to be a pretty bad person, but... Um, at the time I was watching him play basketball, he was just one of the greatest basketball players ever. He was, I was a very, I was a very young fan of his, um, and he ended his, his career on the court uh, in his 30s. He had suffered a massive injury. The massive injury was that his Achilles tendon snapped, um, and uh, you just see him go down, and he's in like writhing in unbelievable amounts of pain. And later he said, "I could feel the tendon snap and shoot up my leg." And the visceralness of that potential sensation kept me warm <laughs> those eight miles of hobble running back. Wow. So I got back um, uh, and uh, immediately started icing myself. And I talked to my coach. And uh, I have a running coach. It's not because I'm a douchebag. It's because um, team in training, the Leukemia and Lymphoma's running <clears throat> club, has coaches there. I'm not an asshole who hires myself a running coach. Um, uh, but the co- my coach is a great guy, and he said, all right, um, sounds to me like you haven't actually torn it or you know gotten uh, tendonitis. It sounds to me like there's a calcified deposit under your Achilles tendon that it's running over. And this happens sometimes during overuse and injury. Um, and uh, these little deposits of calcium build up and they're, they're painful when it rubs up and over them, and it also makes this weird popping sensation. So rest. Rest for a couple weeks. Take a couple down weeks. Don't run, and it should go away. Okay, so I did. Uh, and then I had to start running again if I wanted to run the marathon. And the stressful thing about, like, any long run is the potential of it to injure yourself, but the stressful thing about a long run when you're coming back from an injury is you're not going to know if you got over the injury until you go and run. Um, and I had an 18-mile run to test out whether I had gotten over it. Uh, and so I was pretty nervous and stressed out, and we met at 
uh, 7.30 on Saturday morning, my team and my coaches and I, we met at 7.30 on a Saturday morning at Astoria Park, which is about two, mo- two blocks from where we record this podcast. It's a very nice park. And we set out to run. And we ran from Astoria Park through Long Island City, across the 59th Street Bridge, down First Avenue, around the UN, because the UN was crazy that day, because uh, the Pope was coming and talking to them. And then over to the East Side River Path, down the East Side River Path to the Brooklyn Bridge, and then ran all the way back. And that was 18 miles. And guys, I kind of killed it. It was nice. a kind of great run. That's um, awesome. Yeah. I shouldn't have been worried, and I felt great. Uh, my Achilles felt fine, and a little bit of pain, but nothing I couldn't handle. Um, every, every, all systems were go. I ran the shit out of that run, and I felt good about me. And I got back to Astoria Park, and some of my friends uh, who are also runners were there and in the group, and we were all high-fiving and talking and blah, blah, blah. And uh, that, uh, that was it. I then walked to the train, uh, the run over. So I'm walking to the train, feeling pretty good, blah, 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 get to the end train, get on the end train, switch to the 7 at Queens Plaza to take myself to my stop at 40th Street in Sunnyside, Queens. And on that particular day, uh, the trains weren't stopping at my stops. They were going express, so I had to take it past 40th to 61st Street turn around and go back, which is a pain in the ass under any circumstance, but after you've run 18 miles, it's especially a pain in the ass, because all you want to do is go home and shower all until your skin falls off. And you didn't want to take, like, a cab or something? No, <laughs> I mean... I, I mean, it's expensive it's as hell. Expensive I would avoid it if I can. It feels like one of those things where, like, since you're running anyway, you should just be like, hey, instead of running back to where we came from, yeah. why don't I just run to my house yeah. and then be there? I guess it's kind of a cool down, too, to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, it would be. We're sort of in that like space where you're never you're never the temperature you want to be. Sure. Right now, because it's it's the beginning of autumn. So, um, uh, on this particular day, for example, it was like sixty eight, sixty nine degrees, which is just a degree or two too warm uh, for the way most people were dressed. Uh, but it was also just a degree too warm for the heat to be on in the train but it was on anyway oh i hate that um so they so they they had the heat on in the seven train i was on and because the seven was running on this weird ass schedule it was packed so i couldn't sit and as i get on at queensboro uh uh there's this uh, uh couple of uh tourists who are having the tourism freak out of like it just said it's not going to stop at 46th Street. What do we do? Um, and so they start to run off the train. I'm like, no, 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 sit, sit, sit. Just switch at 61st. All the trains are doing this. And so they sat back down and said, no, thanks. I was like, no problem. I'm a New Yorker. I help tourists like a douchebag. Um, and I'm standing there, and the heat's on in the train, and it is crawling because there are guys working on the tracks, so they can't go at normal speed. So we're chugging along, we pass 33rd Street, we pass my stop at 40th, and I look sadly out the window. We pass 46th Street, go to 52nd Street, and we're passing 52nd. I'm looking out the window, and it's like, it, 
uh, it's a little, it's a little gray out, but suddenly it's like the the clouds part and the sun comes through and it starts getting pretty bright, and then it keeps getting bright. It just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. I take a quick look around and and no one else seems to think the sun is exploding. So I realize it's just me. And what is happening is I'm fainting. And I've realized this because what my brain does normally is that my brain is at uh, existential panic level like nine. So um, normally I'm just very tense and upset. (laughs) And I think, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through my day? What is going to happen? I'll eventually die. But when something actually happens, um, the flip side of that is that the competent part of my brain goes, now I get to talk. Um, and And in that case, it went, well, Dave, let's run down the checklist. You're not having a heart attack. Your heart feels fine. You're not hyperventilating so it's not a problem with your lungs or anything and I've been around enough runners and been running long enough to be generally aware of the ways running makes you feel like you might die so I was like oh I'm fainting because it's really warm on this train and I've been standing too long and I didn't have enough water okay cool cool so the next 30 seconds are going to look like this we're going to pull into 61st street I can stay on my feet I think that long when the door is open I'm just going to stumble out onto the platform. If I need to go down to my knees, I will, but hopefully there'll be a bench nearby and I can just go to it. Cool. All right. Plan made. It is at that moment, as we are pulling towards 64th Street, that I feel a hand on my back. And it's the tourists from earlier who are doing the tourist panic thing again of getting up before the train has reached the stop and running towards the, towards the train doors as if they expect the doors are going to open for about a second and then slam closed. Actual New Yorkers don't do this. Actual New Yorkers stay seated until the train stops, get up and walk off because they know they stay open for at least 30 seconds and you've got plenty of time to get off. And I start going into a rage spiral. Damn it. Guys, just stay seated. I'm not saying any of this because I can't speak. You know, like I, I have to, if I start talking, I'll probably just fall over. But I'm, damn it, just stay seated. There's no fucking reason to get up out of your seat. There's certainly no reason for you to touch me right now or ever. And there's, you're going to get off this train. It isn't a train built by idiots. People thought about this stuff. There is enough time to get off the fucking train. Doors open. They haul ass out. There's a bench right there. Nobody's on it. And I stumble forward and slide into it. I kind of put my head between my knees for a second and recover. And as I'm sitting back up, I think, I'm pretty sure only an actual New Yorker would take a break from fainting to get furiously mad at a tourist. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, that's what happened to me. Okay, I'll give you 50. All right, thank you, thank you. I I fainted. um, I'm incredibly squeamish about the sight of blood or anything involving the human body being something other than a magical thing that has (laughs) ponies inside of it. Um, 
and someone described giving blood once when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I had a very similar experience. Um, I don't know if you had your hearing go numb and like feeling a like cotton had been shoved into your ears. Uh, too. Like a rushing noise sometimes happens. Yeah. To me. Yeah. And then, like, the way I described it at the time, because this is the point I was at in my life, was it was like when you have a game gear in front of you <laughs> and you turn the screen because of how it's backlit and the screen just goes from like a regular color display uh-huh. to brighter and brighter and oh, brighter sure, and yeah. like washes all the colors out. Yeah. Um, and then I had to have, uh, the two tallest girls in the class, uh, hook me over their shoulders and like drag me to the nurse's office. This is in French class. So. Sure, sure. And we're just sitting there going like, um, I think there's something wrong. <laughs> Cause I couldn't hear any- <laughs> myself speak and like, I couldn't see and, like, I can't hear or, 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 or see anything. So I should probably go to the nurse and I yeah. couldn't even stand. Um, I, I fainted once in elementary school during a choir presentation cause the auditorium didn't have air conditioning and there were like a hundred people in there. But I don't remember it because I didn't know. What do you mean? Like, I was in the performance. Oh, you didn't know you fainted? And then I was in the hallway. Oh, wow. And the people were like, hey, so how are you doing? And I was like, fine. When did the show end? And they're like, <laughs> you fainted. It's still going on. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> when did you know. invent teleportation? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a full, clear memory of it. That's really interesting. And you clearly yeah. have a full, clear yeah, memory Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I... I've had, like, episodes sort of similar to this. Like, this was, like, this was the most fainty of this sort of uh, thing that's ever happened to me. But I've had the, like, uh, when I um, dislocated my shoulder the first time, um, I, I, de- I had, like, the full... You're don't gonna, mind me cringing. You're going to faint. I am, probably. You're going to faint. Yeah. I, won't, I won't go too deep. Please don't. It. But I had, like, my vision tunnel down to, like... Yeah. yeah, really, really small print pinpricks and get really red around the edges and like just this like rushing noise in my in my uh, in my ears. A good time was had by all sure. that day. No, it sounds like a blast. Um, but yeah, uh, fainting guys. Yeah, no, that's and that's a very New Yorker way to faint too. Yeah, because yeah. you didn't just like sit there and go like, I need someone to stop the train and get Because that's like a tourist thing where right. they're like, stop everything. Yeah. I am in trouble. Right. You're just yeah. like, I don't want to interrupt the flow. I don't want to make other New Yorkers mad. I just yeah. want to just go about my, my routine. And if I end up falling to my knees as I'm working towards that routine, I will keep doing that until right. I'm not conscious anymore. Well, I was also wearing like running clothes, so I figured if I like dropped on the platform, somebody like, "Oh, this douchebag workout asshole," I I'll pick him up. Like, sure. I actually I want to go back for a quick second. Sure. Why is having a running coach a douchebaggy thing? I don't know anything about running culture. Oh, so. no, it's just like well, for one, if I if if I wasn't a runner and I heard somebody say I have a running coach, I'd be like. Oh fuck you! Right. <laughs> like, oh really? Because it's, it's just like just run. Yeah. <laughs> you go out and you run, but two, like I'd be like, running is the cheapest fucking sport for a reason. Like you need a hundred dollars worth of shoes, and that's it. Right. You fucking idiot! And now you're paying a running coach. So the point is, I'm not paying a running coach. The running coach is provided by as a volunteer for. For, for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I mean, it makes sense to have one. So, like, well, you can run wrong. As someone who did cross-country for, like, a couple of weeks and was told that I would, was terrible at it. Well, especially... And, and now that I do it more frequently, especially you can especially, like, hurt yourself. And, right. like, you need, you need a coach's eyes there to see that you are, you know, upping your mileage properly and not hurting yourself and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but had I had just some 
hipster runner douchebag like myself said I have a running coach before, pre-me pre as a runner, I would have definitely been like, that fucking asshole should fall down a flight of stairs. Yeah, I mean, I feel, <laughs> I feel that way right now. Thank you, right. thank you, yeah. thank you for that. Uh, should I tell my story? Please. Probably, probably. Um, okay, so uh, humanity <laughs> has oh. asked the question oh, many my. times, uh, is our humans good? Yes. Or are they? Is our humans good? Yeah, our, <laughs> the question is all this time. <laughs> like, are are we naturally good or are we naturally bad? Okay. Okay. And I'm going to submit that we are naturally good and colossally stupid at doing it. Oh. I like where this is going. All right. Um, because uh, that that has been my experience over the last couple of weeks. Uh, as you as you guys have know from listening previously, I have vision issues. Uh, I do not see very well and therefore panic when I travel and try to only ever be in the same places over and over and over again because consistency is awesome. Uh, the last uh, three weeks have not really afforded me that ability. Uh, I've had to do a lot of traveling. I had to go to uh, Dallas. I've had to go to upstate I'm so New York. Sorry. No, I know. I agree. Dallas. Um, uh, and I had to go to Brooklyn, which was the hardest part. No. Um, <laughs> A place uh, not even taxi drivers want to go. Yeah. Uh, uh, and in doing so, um, uh, for the most part, it was generally fine. I mean, Dallas was, we, technically I was in Fort Worth, Fort Worth Texas, uh, and it was the most Texas thing I've ever seen in my mm -hmm. fucking life. It was, I, there was a saloon. There was a goddamn saloon wow. with sliding, like, with those doors. The, the place we were on, it didn't happen, but three times a day they walked the livestock through the fucking, like... Middle like of they town. Would just walk it through, like yeah, like, there were yeah, there were wild chickens and shit all over the fucking place. Like it was, it was super Texas. Wow. Um, but surprisingly, not much happened. Um, uh, but I did have to because Joy was with me, my wife was with me the whole time, so it wasn't too bad. But when I had to go to upstate New York um, for a wedding, she left the day before I did, so she's like, "Okay, we'll just take the bus up, and I'll meet you there." And I was like, "I'm not taking the fucking bus anywhere because I hate the bus. Uh, I'll take Amtrak." Uh, because it's a train, and it's easier, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I really started to comprehend, like, oh, I that means I need to go do that, like, by myself. And that sounds fucking awful. Uh, uh, but it's in Penn Station, and I know Penn Station. Uh, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I, I can do this. I'm an adult. Uh, I can do this. And as I got closer and closer there, I was like, I can't do this. This is, this is not... Fun. There are a billion fucking people here. Because at least with uh, Long Island Railroad, which is at the bottom of Penn Station, um, most of those people know where they're going. Like, odds are you're coming from Long Island, you knew how to get in, and you basically know retrace your steps to get home. Uh, people who are taking Amtrak are generally taking it, like, as a one-off. So they don't really know what they're doing, so it's a lot of people who are, like, really confused. Um, so as soon as I kind of got there, I, um, kind of went mildly into like deer in the headlights mode. Uh, yes, I, I've, I've actually taken Amtrak out of Penn, Penn Station quite a bit because that's a good way to get to where my wife's family lives. Yeah. Um, and, and I know exactly what you mean, but also Penn Station, the Amtrak level is the worst place in the world. It is. It is, it is a it is, maze. It is, it is... Whoever designed it 
If aliens found it, they would think that whoever designed it designed it for the purposes of making people upset. Um, because And because part of the reason I say this is because they have all the gates in one place and then don't announce where the trains are leaving from f- until 30 seconds before the train leaves. So everybody just stands and runs and then yeah. runs. Yeah, yeah. But you, you can mildly cheat that, um, it, which is partially what I did. Because I got there, and I went to the information desk, and I was basically like, help. This is scary. <laughs> That's your warp zone? Yeah. That's your cheat code? Yeah. I was like, help. please help. Um, and she's like, uh, you need a, a red cap. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but yeah, I need one of those. Like, please, you know, help me. They're like, oh, it, you know, it's right behind here. Um right behind the information thing. So I was like, okay, great. That's awesome. They put it like right in the front. They don't put it right in the front. Fucking at all. You have to go all the way like around to like the, basically the middle of the area, then go through this like complex set of, um, you know, like, um, stanchions or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, and then the red cap guys who are there basically either to help you if you have a ton of luggage or if you are handicapped, uh, once you get into the, enclosed area where you need to go with no fucking signs that it exists at all. Sure. Um, Then they're like, okay, you need to go halfway down, make a right at the pole, then go around the thing, and then ask for somebody, and then they'll probably be able to help you. And I was like, great. Thank you. I will go try and find that. (laughs) And didn't, like, offer to help me, like, you know. I'll use my powers of impaired vision to find this person that I'm supposed to see. Right. Um, So I get there, and, like, they, like, I appreciate the fact that Amtrak has people to do that. Um, They do not care about their jobs fucking at all. (laughs) Like, uh, they... Like, um, the guy's like, well, what train? And I, like, I kind of hand him the thing, like, because I get very timid. I get very, like, you know, like, I'm scared. I'm not going to try and alpha male any of this situation. Like, please just help me. So I hand him the thing. He's like, okay, I'll come get you. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll go sit down. (laughs) Uh, And then, like, 15 minutes go by. And you admittedly do get to cut the line by having the the red cap guy do it. Um, So he's like, okay, just follow me. And then... Like, he comes to get me for the minutes, and just starts, like, cutting through the crowd. And, like, the only reason that I'm able to, like, follow him is because basically, like, he's running interference for other people. Because he's just powering through the crowd with other people's luggage. I don't know where they're coming from. Or where, like, somebody handed him luggage and then went a different way. So I don't even know whose fucking luggage it was. <laughs> um uh, so he like brings me through the crowd. Not not really like, like I said. He doesn't really bring me through the crowd. He walks through the crowd. He takes off with a flying V. Yes, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> situation <laughs> worth, worth of luggage. And I just so happen to follow him yeah. uh, into the thing. Uh, and then he like practically fucks over some handicapped people coming out of the elevator when we finally get there uh, because the guy's like, "Excuse me, I I can't get out." And he's like, "You have plenty of room." And because like no, I don't. I have a cane. <laughs> like, I, like uh, so. Like eventually, the guy kind of works his way out, and we get into the thing. Uh, we come downstairs, uh, and he's like, "All right, you're here." And I was like, "Well, there are two tracks, and you didn't tell me which one it was." Uh, and he's like, "It's that one. It's track six. Um, and then starts to like walk away. Uh, and I'm like, "Excuse me, that says track five. Ooh. 
and you just said track six. Which track am I supposed to be on? Uh, so uh, he's like, oh, yeah, no, that one. That that one is like, you are supposed to be on track six or whatever it was. Like, mm-hmm. so he pointed me to what was ultimately the right track but gave me the wrong information. And then it was like, okay, I like I bought the business class ticket. Which side of the train should I, like, where is, where is that? And he's like, oh, it's the front. It's, you know, that way and it points to the right. Uh, so, and then he just leaves and then he's fucking gone. Does not, like, the train's not there. So, like, maybe it's going to be the right train. Maybe, I don't know. So eventually I sort of panic and I see, like, another one of those dudes. And I was like, just to be sure, is this, like, the right train? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, in business class of the year. And he's like, oh, no, it's the other side of the train completely. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, re- okay, yeah, thank you. Because the Amtrak trains are so goddamn small that I'm sure I could have walked all the way up, right. like, in that time. Uh, and eventually I get on the train, and if you take an Amtrak, fucking take business class, because it's fucking awesome. It's, like, so much bigger and so much wonderful. Really? Yeah. Um, and then eventually, like, uh, I, you know, we're, I get on the train, and it's, like, we're delayed for an hour, because it's fucking Amtrak, and that's, you know, how it goes. Uh, and the lights are mostly off in the section that I'm in. Uh, so the conductor comes by, and she says, like, hey, uh, the next stop is yours. And it's like, okay, which... Um, which, like, door do I, I leave? And she goes, that one. And just sort of, like, tilts her head. And I was like, I don't, like, it's dark. I, like, I don't know where you're pointing. <laughs> She's like, that one. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this again. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you, like, physically show me the exit that I need to go? And she's like, oh, okay, fine. And then eventually, like, I get there and I, and I get home. And that part of the trip is done. Uh, and I just couldn't help but, like, feel like, you try. You all tried to help, but like in the minimalist conceivable fucking way that you could try and help. Uh, so uh, my journey continues the following week uh, when I went to uh, uh, opening night of the Islanders uh, at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, uh, which was you know uh, I was super happy. I saw the last game the Islanders played in Nassau Coliseum, and I saw the first game in their new home. Hockey, and, Morgan. Hockey. Thank you. Yeah, it's hockey. Thank you. Uh, uh, you saw my hand go up too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the NHL National Hockey League. Great. Yeah. Great organization. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I get there, and we sort of, you know, my friend and I, we go to our seats, uh, or we start going to our seats, and the uh, conductor points to like where we're sitting, and I'm instantly like, no, no, that's not no, like, because it's super steep. And, like, around these, like, weird turns with no railing. And, like, I've never done this before. But I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to go to, like, the guest services thing and say, like, hey, it's hard for me to sit in this seat. Do you think that you could, like, help us out? Um, So uh, the guy's like, yeah, it's, you know, um, he's like, I can't do anything for you, but you can go to Section 221. Uh, so first off, um, section 221 is on the second floor that requires you to either find an elevator, which we never did, um, or go up an escalator. Um, so for anybody there, cause everybody who went there other than me was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So guest services for people who need help, who are in wheelchairs is on the second floor, um, which is already like a giantly huge, like, Just fuck, you. fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for super crowded situations, 
Um, you can ask any sort of person who has a little bit more trouble. We'll get there like we got there like basically when the fucking doors opened because I wasn't going to fight the crowd of a billion people. Um, so we got there and uh, w- went to the guest services thing immediately. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll um, we'll totally help you out. Uh, we just need to wait to like get the right tickets for you. So just sort of like wait here or do whatever. Um, so we were there like an hour early and basically for like 45 minutes, we were just waiting to get like some level of ticket. So like you could see every single one of the people just sort of being like, fuck, come on, dude. (laughs) You know, because like we avoided this crowd, this whole collection of folks who were standing around here all tried to avoid this crowd. And now you're just waiting till everyone's fucking here to give us like uh, tickets. Uh, So uh, admittedly um, the, uh, they did eventually give, give us tickets. And um, the, the nice part of it is that, like, basically there are no stairs. It's, like, seats that, like, rather than having to go up or down or whatever, it's just a platform that basically comes out from the level that you're on. And because it's mostly intended for people in wheelchairs, it's all, like, folding chairs as opposed to regular seats. But, like, admittedly, incredibly comfortable folding chairs. Like, super, like, the same padding that's on, like, a, a, decent, size, a decent type of chair is on this chair. Uh, and it's way better because you have, like, a lot more room. Uh, but when they gave me the tickets, they were like, look, hopefully these work out for you because we don't really have anything else. Uh, so hopefully this works and it's obstructed view. Um, so, you know, hopefully this works. Otherwise you guys will have to go wherever. Um, and ultimately it was fine. It was obstructed view. They were like worse seats than we had, although super more comfortable and far less like I could feel my heart calm down, you know, when, when we got there. Uh, but as we, uh, you know, as we were sitting there, we saw that there were like four other sections for people with disabilities that were completely open. They were just on the lower level. Uh-huh. So they were basically like, yeah, no, we're not going to give you like better seats. So, Hey, handicapped folks sit way the fuck up here. Right. Um, you know, other like, because basically, like, if another person who had a disability had showed up earlier than me, I would have been stuck in my own seat rather than having them, like, have, basically, you could have held, like, 40, 50 more people. It's just, I wasn't rich and visually impaired. Right. <laughs> so I could kind of go fuck myself. Um, so, again, that was an opportunity. Another situation where they tried to help, but, like hadn't thought about it for like a minute to figure out like how to make it actually work. Just putting it on the first floor and just like having some tickets available. You know what you sold. Like, why would you wait? Like I I was there for, go walk down. I'll come with you to like, go get the tickets. Um, so, uh, you know, and it, so that's my sort of evidence for the fact that, uh, humanity is, is good. They're just, too dumb to really be good a lot. I mean, it's, you've basically described the metaphor that is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. It's everyone's trying to do the good thing, but not hard enough to not make it something bad ultimately. Right. Yeah. That, that, and that was basically my experience <laughs> from, from these weeks. Um, 
is that like well, it makes they, you know they'll they'll try, right. but they won't succeed. It, it makes me think of just like the basic principle of evolution, which is the most successful thing is the thing that requires the least effort and energy. Yeah. So you end up with like it is beneficial to everyone to help everyone, but only when the least amount of energy is expended to do so. Because there's right. no true altruism. It's all in some way feeding back into you know culture, society, however you want to look at it. Yeah. So it's it's that sort of I don't know. And, and, like, I don't know if this fully fits into that sort of thing, but, like, um, the, the one thing that I've noticed is when I walk around the street with a cane, um, it's easier. It's, like, 100% fucking easier. Right. Because people get out of the way. Unless it's raining or snowing, and then I can go fuck myself. <laughs> then I'm just, like, every other goddamn everyone, person. everyone else is like, well, I'm handicapped, too, by the weather. Right. Um, so, like, people will be good unless it's, like, you know what? I don't want to get cold. Yeah. So, yeah. fuck that handicapped guy. Anyway, that's my story. All right. Well, I guess I'll go with my heavy story, which is that, um, so it sounds like I have a cold, maybe. I've been coughing, and I'm very congested. And um, it's, so if you remember about a month ago, uh, I told the story about going in to have my nose looked at, as I considered having um, something called a uh, septioplasty, or septoplasty. I don't remember. Um, what it is, is that they would fix my deviated septum. And so, uh, this past week, that was what I had done. And the fun thing about that is, um, my nose is still jammed full of dried blood and, uh, they had a tube down my throat, which gave me a sore throat. So because those two things were going on, my body decided, oh, you must have a cold. Like you're stuffed up and your throat hurts. You, you have a cold. So I've been feeling kind of sick for the past week and I don't think I actually am. I think I just fooled my body you're psychosomatically sick yeah i think i think that's exactly what happened um so i've talked about the surgery a lot because i've never had surgery before and this was really like it was really making me nervous like i would normally say like it's really freaking me out which is kind of a blow-off way of saying like this like i'm genuinely scared about this and everyone including my therapist was like it's not a big deal my therapist literally told me she said um it's the sort of surgery that's done in like children and infants so you're probably going to be fine then she proceeded to tell me about how she had had a cesarean and i felt like a giant wuss um which is always great when your yeah, therapist, your therapist is, is like you stop know, being a pussy yeah, dude come on man up um and i talked about this on when the live show that i do relationship i mentioned it and one of our performers is uh tiana miller who uh had multiple sclerosis since I think she, her mid teens. And so she's had a lot more serious medical things to deal with and a lot of surgeries. And she basically told me on stage that I'm a pussy. <laughs> Rightfully so. Mm. Um, but it was still making me really, really nervous. I was, I, I, you know, anyone who listened, I was complaining about this, talking about this, this, that. Well, you did have thing. to get put under, right? I did. You know, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a thing. That's a everything thing. about it. And I'm very, very squeamish about the human body in general. Um, like I was saying earlier, like, I know that we are basically simple pump mechanisms, but there's something about human consciousness where, and I don't know if other people experience this too, where you have this kind of, I have this kind of built in notion that like, oh, I'm this magical thing. Like, I don't think of my body as being a, you know, series of tubes and levers and meat and yeah. goo. I think of it as this being this magical bag full of wonder. I'm not. I'm not full of guts and digestive. Right. Food. I, right. I, I refuse to accept that there's a skeleton inside yeah. me. That, yeah. that is not a fucking that, thing yeah, that's that, happening. Yeah. There's not. That's not a thing that's inside me. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a house for a trillion bacteria. <laughs> yeah. But and there's something very. There's something that takes you or takes me down several pegs when I go in for a medical procedure and 
it is very routine and it, this is like all it's like when you see a pit crew working on a, a race car where they know exactly all the things they have to do I'm like oh i guess i'm not magical like they literally know all the things in this very routine procedure um so i mean you would not want the opposite like if they no, opened no. you up and they were like we didn't know what the fuck was in <laughs> this there. is i don't remember there being leprechauns inside of a person but apparently there are now um no, no, no you're, they're mad <laughs> no, they were very upset with me um the surgery was at 7.30 in the morning, but the call time was 6, which meant I had to leave my apartment at 5. So I was up at 4. I got about two hours of sleep because there was no way I was going to get more than a couple of hours nervous about the surgery and having to get up while it's still pitch black out. Did they, is that what they call it for surgery, call time? Yeah, I think that's what they said was the call time for it. Really? I always thought that was like a strictly like... like a performance thing? Performance thing, Well, yeah. you do get led into a, surg- a, a, a surgery theater, so... Okay. Um... Oh, were there, like, interns watching? Oh, no, not not in that sense. No, it was... So I get there, and the way the procedure worked was, first they assigned me a bed, like a random bed in a row of, like, a billion. And I'm given a couple bags and then, like, stuff to change into, which I did wrong several times. The nurse had to correct me. Because it's, like, pants and then a smock and a robe, and I wasn't sure which order to... It's... Yeah. I did all of it wrong. Um... (laughs) And and like, isn't and the robe I, always on the outside? I, I didn't isn't think I was supposed like, to wear the robe right away. And then I, had, I think I had the smock backwards. Whatever. I imagine at one point the robe is wrapped around you like a <laughs> towel and you're wearing the pants through your, <laughs> through your armhole. Which you easily could because the cro- the fly on it is mm-hmm. very wide. <laughs> and you're not supposed to wear underwear. So like unless you've got that robe tightly wrapped around mm-hmm. you, everything is just hanging out. I'm like, this is going to be surgery on my face. Do I need to be naked naked? She's like, yeah, everything off. Okay. So I do that. And then um, I'm, I thought I was going to get my, – my expectation, because I have nothing – no context for this, was that I would be knocked out in that bed and then I would wake up and it would be done. Instead, it was I was led on my feet. I had to wear stupid slipper things too. Um, from that bed out down a hallway into where the actual operation was going to take place. And as soon as I saw that, my heart started racing. It was very intimidating. It was this big white room with a single bed in the middle. Just like, you know, up on a, on a stand. And it looked like the sort of bed that prisoners are given lethal injection on. Mm-hmm. So it had the arm things coming off. And then there was just all of these doctors and technicians just kind of waiting in there. Like I was, and I was the first person they were seeing that day. So it was like, we're all here for you. And I'm like, I don't want to be here with you. Um, and I'd been told, once I'd gotten there, I was told that they're going to put an IV in. And that was, like I said, I'm really... Like, I, I faint. Yeah. And I'm really squeamish about needles. And having something in me for, like, the long term really freaked me out. Whenever I, like, th- imagine things like this, by the way, um, like, because I've, I've had, my uh, you know, minor surgery done. And um, it you always are the narrator of your own story, obviously. But, like, I imagine it from the doctor's perspective. Because you never think, like... Oh yeah, I was the first one in, and then he did forty more of these that yeah. day, and then he did forty more of those the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and it becomes well, this mechanical weird thing. And that literally was what I was thinking when I was led in there, because it goes back to the idea of like I think of myself as a bag of magic, right? <laughs> Whereas for them, this was all very routine. I knew like, okay, this is the first of they're doing this all day. Probably there's a bunch of other people. They've got it all down. Like each person came in and started doing their thing. Um, and the guy put the needle in my arm and started to put whatever it was in. Um, I think it was a combination of saline and also some sort of knockout stuff. He says, like, your arm's going to start to get cold. That's a weird thing. And then my arm did start to get cold. 
And I made a comment about how, you know, I should let them know that I do have a history of passing out when I get needles put in me. And they're all joking around like, well, that'll make things a lot easier if you pass out. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. And then I woke up. Yeah. <laughs> the surgery was done. And um, I will say that um, aside from looking like I'd been punched in the face several times, it was fairly painless. Um, my dad was there. He drove me home. He bought me a pizza, which I shoved into my fridge and ate for the next several days. Not able to taste it. Um, I just had like a gauze taped under my nose, but that was about it. Uh, it didn't hurt too badly. They didn't give me any medications. It was actually, I was a huge wuss, guys. To to address your like being a magical being, sure thing. Um, Don't ruin the illusion for me. I no, I'm not. I, I'm not going to try and ruin the illusion Great. for you. Um, I, I think you're a magical being. Um, you, uh, but. I like the uh, when you mentioned seeing the table in you know um, I, it made me think about uh, I had gone to the hospital uh, maybe like ten years ago uh, and they uh, they thought I had a blood clot in my leg Ooh. Um, which it turns out I didn't but they thought I did and they were basically like okay. Um, like, call anyone who you want to specifically call, but uh, we're going to start prepping you for surgery in about an hour. I was like, well, who and what now? Like, <laughs> um, and there was that sort of, like, instant realization that, like, if you feel like you need to do this in an hour, right? something could go wrong. Like, I'm, like... Well, blood clots are very serious. If there yeah. was one, yeah, they, I, I've known a couple people who've had to who had blood clots, and it's like, all right, time is of the essence. We do this now because it could go to your heart. Right. Yeah. No. And I, I, I could appreciate the urgency. But it of could the go to the heart in forty nine minutes. Right. 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 So there was that sort of like um, fragile reality that you needed. Do you need to maintain? Like, yeah. That yeah. You are a magical being. Yeah. <laughs> like, and as soon as somebody's like, "Hey, this is like." You're not like we're gonna like because especially like once they put you on anesthesia, like nobody talks about how like ridiculous anesthesia is because it's basically like how much to make you pass out but not die yes. based on your body type. Yes, right. and but, that was that was a sorry. I'll get to it. Yeah, please continue. No, uh, but yeah. So like every time they do surgery, there's always that look. We're gonna bring you close to killing you, yeah. but not. Like, and it's a delicate science. It's yeah. super delicate, but it's also like, we're going to get you close enough to killing you that your consciousness goes away. Yeah. Right. So two things. Yeah. Um, first of all, um, because of my age in, in such that my youthfulness, uh, they didn't have an exact amount of time how long I'd be out. And they said it could be anywhere from an hour to three hours. And I was in three and a half hours. Jesus Christ. I was out for, yeah. Because um, the surgery was 7.30, 8.30, and I woke up at... It was after 1130. It might have been closer to noon. I, w I was under for a long time. Um, that was disconcerting. The other thing was, in addition to the regular, I assume, gas that they gave me, they gave me, as you had predicted, Dave, the uh, memory knockout. Because I have no concept of what happened. But, again, it looked, like, kind of violent. So, like, I'm going to describe this a little bit. So, my nose is bloody as hell. But there's also a ring of dried brown something around my mouth. I think it was blood. And waking up, I had, and I've never experienced this before, so the best I can describe it is the most painful dry mouth that I've ever had. Do you want to know what I think that blood, that thing around your mouth was? Sure. 
It, okay, so a guy pooped in your mouth. No. Yeah, that's no, what I assumed. Um, uh, no, they put a they put a tube down your throat, right? Yeah. It's maybe a little gross. Bile? When they pulled it out. Yeah, I assumed it was something from when it they was, pulled it out. Yeah, they probably cut you up a little. Yeah, well, that would explain. I had an incredibly sore throat and the, the most painful dry mouth I've ever mm-hmm. had. And that was... Um, they could not give me enough ice chips to suck on. I had to have my dad go and get me like Halls. You know, that's a plug for Halls there. They didn't give me cough drops. And um, they gave me like soda, just anything for my throat. It was, it was murder for the first couple of hours. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. It probably cuts you Did you, you feel up. yourself kind of coming back online? Like when I first came to after I had my shoulder done, like nothing worked. I couldn't really use my body. Oh, that's interesting. No, I felt pretty mobile almost right away. Like I, I felt exhausted. So I didn't really want to move. And when I eventually had to move to like a, a more sitting resting area, I did kind of old man walk it, but like everything was functional. I just felt really tired. So that's interesting. I might've been, might've been because I was out so long that that already resetted by the time I came out. How long, do you remember how long you were under after the surgery? Well, they, they didn't really tell me what they did. They told me that I would be awake and then they decided to make me not awake. <laughs> but they didn't tell you how long the surgery was from when you they started? Did, they didn't tell me how long anything went. They didn't tell me really, it, it was a kind of shit show. And actually. Was it at the same place, the Wild Cornell? No, no, it was okay. in, it was in Boston. Um, and, uh. The surgery worked, so I'm only somewhat mad about it. But like, <laughs> right? It was kind of a shit show in that they told me I would be awake, and I wasn't awake. And later they were like, "Well, you were feeling discomfort." I was like, "It was you cut my arm open." Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but well, and I can't help but wonder if like if I was conscious for any of this, yeah. and if I was screaming and in pain or anything. I have no way of knowing because I have no memory of it. Yeah, and, right. And if you were. You don't want to know. No, but like, but to know that maybe I did experience that is also like in that for a while I was remembering that, but then mm. it went away. Like that's, there's so many implications that are yeah. freaky. Well, it's yeah. also like how much amnesic drug can they give you before you go away? Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why like uh, what I was, when I was saying before is just like as much as it, you, what you had was a routine surgery, anytime something invades that fragile thing that makes you think that you'll never die like it rocks you to the core you know i've talked about it before like with my vision stuff like every once in a while for a split second i'll think about what not having any vision at all is and the terror that kind of fills your body for that split second you're like okay that door is closed like let's not do that fucking again for for a while uh and that like you know and that's I'm still alive in that scenario. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Anytime something changes permanently. Yeah. Any, or physically, it's terrifying. I remember, yeah. I mean, the first time I had my, like, a real existential moment where, I, like, the full weight of my mortality hit me. And it was, this is embarrassingly late. It was, like, a couple years after college. Like, I knew I was mortal. Like, it wasn't a thing I didn't realize. But the full weight of it hit me one day for no reason. I was just like, do-do-do-do, holy shit. And my, like, legs buckled. And I almost yeah. collapsed. Now that, but that happens every so often. Like uh, I, 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 I had that first time. I think I was six. But that happens every so often to me because, like, you put it out of your mind, right? Like, uh, and I was a grim child. I'm not. I'm not boasting about that. I was too. I don't know why um, it actually hit me so late. Uh, but uh, like, yeah, it hits you every so often that oh fuck, like that's gonna happen. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I think that's our uh, I think that's our episode for this week. Yeah. Yay. Do you guys have anything you want to plug? Any shows coming up? Um, by the time this airs, I think I will probably have my Thursday night show back up. So, hello, Laser. Thursday nights at the Magnet Theater. I'll be out of town for a few weeks, so I will not be doing anything. But 
I'll catch you in Berlin if anybody's in Berlin, although I won't be performing. <laughs> but who knows? You never know. Maybe an open mic or some shit. Hey, speaking of in Berlin, Berlin. <laughs> um, an acquaintance of mine who does comics has an amazing book called Berlin, City of Smoke, City of... I forget the rest, but if you're looking for a comic to read that's... About to, the place that I'll be. About the place that you'll be. It's about Berlin in the lead-up to the Nazis taking over. It's phenomenal. All right. Can't recommend enough. Um, I will be doing Six Minute Saga this coming Thursday, the 15th, at 8 p.m. at the Experiment Comedy Gallery, which I think is in Park Slope. <laughs> don't laugh. I've only been there once before, and I don't remember where I came out of on the train. It's a I, new I, venue. How, how much of that amnesia truck does they give you? Um... Enough where I don't remember how many toes I have. All I right. think it's 10, but I can't there, be sure. No, you got, right. You got, and there's no way to verify that. No way. <laughs> These shoes never come off. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Rate us on iTunes.